a new episode of the Matcha Diaries and today I have a very special guest with me who is my mother! Me! (laughs) (laughs) We have Virginia here and I'm Leo. I'm very sorry that me and Cara aren't here together because basically we just we couldn't find the time to record the two of us but instead I think this is going to be a very I mean, I hope this is going to be a very cute and cozy episode. Me and my mom have been in like close to Amsterdam for the weekend. A little bit of a mother-daughter trip. And yeah, we thought we could record. Don't even know. I've got a kind of a couple of questions that I might bombard you with, mama. Mm-hmm. Kind of around, I guess, your life, advice you would give etc um but first do you want to say a bit about yourself like say you know just give a bit of an intro well i love art Mm -hmm. i'm an art teacher and i teach art and drama and english at a secondary school and we are very multicultural family (laughs) and i bet your listeners are really curious to find find out a little bit more about you probably not so much about me but about you don't underestimate yourself and so maybe i can drop a few stories that they would like <laughs> to hear okay um okay let's start with our highs and lows mm-hmm. what should i start okay <laughs> okay my high this week was i don't okay so i've been very lucky last weekend i went to the italian alps with Marco, which was really beautiful. Mm, I saw some photos, really nice. Yeah. And this weekend, I'm here with you in Holland. So I think my high has just been traveling with the people I love the most and having a beautiful time. And then the low is kind of related to it. Like, ironically, I think whenever I travel a lot, I kind of crave like the stability of like, you know, being able to have a routine at home and stuff. So I think that was maybe, that's my only low of, you know, I I arrive and then I'm, you know, you have to kind of set off again and I'm feeling a little bit unsettled in that way. But I'm maybe getting a bit too little sleep. But actually this weekend has been very relaxing. So I feel like I'm I'm recharging and I'll I'll come back to London feeling very recharged. So that's mm, good. Cool. Shall I say my highs and lows? Yes, please do. Well, my low was definitely getting um, not enough sleep this week oh. due to work. Definitely. I really need to sleep more. And my high, definitely our weekend together Aww. in Amsterdam. It's been really fun. We actually went on a trip today. On a canoe, just <laughs> Leonie and I, and it was really interesting. <laughs> we got lost in the water lanes. It took us two hours to get to a little tea house instead of one. Partly it was my fault. And little Leonie had a few temper tantrums. Wait, <laughs> tell the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but on the way back, we were real pros and we were really in sync. That was yeah. real fun. And we kind of, you know, canoed back into the sunset. To give some context, we are staying in this really lovely Airbnb hosted by this, like, such a sweet couple um, with their, like, three perfect Dutch kids. They look like a 
family from like a TV commercial. There's one question for all of you Dutch listeners. Everything seems so perfect, I think, here and like so idyllic and, and picture perfect. I'd, I'd like to know if it's like, if it's actually that perfect living here or if everyone just looks like everything's perfect. I bet everyone, I think you have problems everywhere, wherever you live. I guess that's true. It just all looks a bit like it's from like a movie advert or something mm. here. They've got bikes that you can rent here and they've got a canoe. And we were originally meant to cycle to this tea house, which would only have taken 20 minutes. And then Mama had the amazing idea to row to this <laughs> place, <laughs> which the Airbnb host was like, oh yeah, it takes an hour, really easy, like there's a sign, <laughs> whatever, whatever. Obviously, did not take an hour. There was like, the signs were so strange. They all didn't make sense. And um, we, I think on the way there, like I don't, I can't count how many... I think we had about five signs <laughs> on the whole way yeah. yeah and they were all confusing and pointed into wrong directions mm. and i think we ran into like 15 bushes and trees and and bridges and bridges <laughs> on the way there on, on the, the way, way back we were really good. good and there it actually was quite idyllic okay sorry i'm gonna pour myself some tea apologies for the noise I want to know, okay, I feel like if I'm going to ask you about like your life and advice that you could give, it'd be great if you could give a little bit more background for the listeners as to like, where did you grow up? When did you go to uni? Like, what was your life like? Kind of, you know, what... What is the trajectory that brought you to where you are now? Hmm. Well, I studied um, quite a lot. <laughs> quite a lot. I studied journalism and English. Um, and, uh, and then I had another sort of, I did another master in, um, in advertising. And so I worked in advertising for Saatchi and Saatchi in London. And, um, and then I decided that um, I wanted to, you know, study some more. And so... As um, you do. How old were you at this point? Maybe 25. Mm -hmm. So, like, older than me. Yeah. A year old, or, like, half a year older than me. Yeah. I decided I wanted to study some more. And um, I chose to do fine art photography, in, um, to study fine art photography. And... Um, because it was really creative and I love photography and I was able to put some of the creative things I'd done in advertising. I thought this was a good way to combine it and also writing. And um, yes. And then in my very first year, I fell in love <laughs> and I had you in the middle of my studies. So this was you moved to Glasgow, didn't you? Yeah. Mm. And there you met Papa. Mm. Do you want to tell the juicy details about um, how you guys met? How did it? Yeah, that actually is a really nice uh, love story. I had the feeling that I was being stalked by someone. Lovely love story. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, it must be, you know, you know, um, can't be true. You're probably just imagining it or maybe wishful thinking that someone, you know, thinks you're so cool that they're actually, you know, <laughs> observing you all the time. Of course, I... I think if you really have someone, you know, stalking you, that must be really terrible. <laughs> but of course, in my dreams, that was someone I would like to be, you know, 
someone nice. And um, yeah, and it actually, it was true. Someone was watching me, which I later, you know, he admitted. Yeah. Um, yes. And um, and by by accident, we actually met at the film festival and um, and I met a friend of his and he then introduced me mm. to Antonio. Yeah. Okay. So for some context as well. He was eight years older than you mm. and a professor mm. at your university. At my university, yes. And married. Yes. <laughs> Why are you scared to say this on the podcast? You have to, okay, you have to be honest in this recording. You can't try and sugarcoat the details. This is a safe space. None of my listeners are going to judge you. <laughs> is like hiding into herself. <laughs> I mean, I think... It just shows that like sometimes relationships aren't meant to be. And obviously that's not Yeah, I think he was very unhappy. Yeah. Um yes. I think he was very unhappy and probably if you're unhappy, you know you're open for other relationships. Yeah. It was a little bit crazy though, because so in a way we only had a he he was very open and he said, you know, I'm going to go back and you know, we I just had a he just had a three month professorship there. Mm-hmm. Um and so I knew it was going to be, um, you know, um, we're going to meet for, you know, a few more months and that's it. Yeah. And then I remember that um, he kind of destroyed all the things that I had given him and written him. And he said, you know, this is it. And, you know, also no phone number exchange. And then I remember he arrived, I think, in the airport back in Portugal and he phoned me and he said, I think it's a mis-, you know, I miss you already, but because I phoned you so often, I memorized your phone number because you had destroyed everything. You know, also the phone mm. numbers we exchanged and the letters. And he said, can I keep calling you? Yeah. And then he did. And I think he went back and I think he moved out the same night and they split. And then he called me again and said, you know, yeah, I'm leaving my wife. And um, can I come and see you again? Although, you know, can we phone? Can I come and see you again? You know, I know this is not what we, you know decided on Mm. uh, but um, and I think I was very happy and so I said yes yeah but I was very cautious because this is not what I had been you know yeah it's the classic scenario of like he's not gonna leave like normally everyone says he's not gonna leave his wife don't I mean I don't want to encourage anyone getting with married men because it's not the thing to do Um, well to be honest I didn't know that he was married I only found that out later that makes it even better. <laughs> I guess, like, if you could go back and give, like, yourself then any advice, what would you What would you say? Mm, I think you have to go with your... You have to listen to your intuition. I felt that I could trust him. Mm. Um, and so I'm glad I did. So I think uh, most of us, we have a good intuition. We have to listen to it. Yeah. And if something doesn't feel right, then probably isn't. That's very true. How do you like learn to listen to people or like to know what is a gut feeling? That is difficult. Yeah. But I think sometimes we know and then we are in a hurry. We think, no, let's not do it. And then we look back and we think, oh, I, sh- I really should have listened. Mm. And I think maybe we need to listen. I think after a while, maybe, you know, you you kind of know when it's right and when it's not. Yeah. Sometimes you make mistakes, but that's part of the, you know growing up it's not a problem yeah well sometimes it is <laughs> <laughs> but then you look lo- yeah it's life yeah okay so when you were 20 i guess when you were 24 
you were doing almost the same as me, which I think is always so interesting. Like, obviously, sorry, I'm pouring more tea. Obviously, I grew up in Germany, mm-hmm. like you did. And in London. Yeah. Well, I lived in London when I was very, very small. Um, but then I moved to England for university and then to London to work in marketing, which slash advertising, which is pretty similar to what what you did. Like unintentionally, I almost kind of followed in your footsteps because you also grew up in Germany, studied in Germany for a bit, then went over to England. Yeah. And now you've fallen in love with someone who's from a completely different country. Yeah. And even though I'd always said like, oh, because Papa's Mediterranean or like, you know, from from kind of a Southern European country, I don't know why in my head I was like, oh yeah, I'd never be together with somebody who's also from Southern Europe. (laughs) I don't know why. And now obviously I am because my boyfriend's Italian. Um, But yeah, it's strange, like the the parallels. It is interesting. And I always wanted to study in England because my, you know, Joe, like, my mother, Leonie's grandmother, is uh, is English, so in a way I wanted to go back to, you know, my roots. Maybe that's something that you wanted too. Yeah. I think subconsciously England had always played a pretty big role in our family. Because obviously, yeah, because my grandmother's from there and my great-grandmother had fled to England in the Second World War. So I guess it was kind of like a, a place of almost like refuge I guess for a family mm. like in, in history a safe space like another home yes and when I grew up my mom always used to say you know like I know when she heard the English uh, you know anthem she would cry and um, you know she told all these beautiful stories so I always wanted to you know travel and study somewhere else and I think England is great for tra- um, for studying actually Scotland mm. also in hindsight, I definitely should have gone to Scotland to study. I would have had a lot less student loans. <laughs> definitely. Okay, so do you remember being 24 and in London? What do you feel like were like your main struggles or like the main things that were like occupying your mind Money. at that time? Money. Money. I had to work quite hard and a lot in order to... Um to have money yeah but in a way you know having all these different uh, jobs this was really interesting and so I think you know you always gain lots of knowledge from different working you know from different jobs so I'm actually really glad for all the different jobs that I did and I uh, made stupid mistakes but I learned from those mistakes yeah. so I think it's nice so I think it's good if you don't have it too easy although I did not think so at the time I have to say <laughs> <laughs> okay when you say stupid mistakes what is an example of a stupid mistake that you made? Well, maybe be too trusting. Oh, I do think you're a very trusting person. Yeah, I always try to see the good in people. Mm. But sometimes um, people take advantage of that. So you have to learn how to maybe be a little bit more reserved, mm. a, bit, a little bit more careful. So when did you trust the wrong person? It was someone that I met. Think I'm not quite sure why. He probably told me a lie. What? Why he was not allowed to drive his car? So he needed a chauffeur. Probably been doing something that he shouldn't, and he wasn't allowed to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I chauffeured him around. Was this like one of your jobs? Yeah, it was one of my jobs. I was a, like a, a chauffeur. I didn't know this. Yeah, <laughs> you should not fall in love with your boss. Oh. Yes. <gasps> and then he just told me lies. Oh, like what? He said, oh, I'm going to leave my wife. Ah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I Let's see a pattern. To... <laughs> I see a pattern. Yes, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was very cautious after that. 
um, let's go to Paris together. Yeah, did not work out. Did you go to Paris together? No, we did not. It did not work out. <laughs> did you stop driving for him? Most certainly. <laughs> I, it never turned known. out that he was a, a big fat liar. Oh, okay. What yes. had he lied about? I need. Well, I think I've got a call just before we wanted to go to Paris. I think everything was arranged. He got a call from his. I think they were not married. It was his girlfriend. A call from his girlfriend, and she told me. That he's never ever going to leave me because I just told him that if he does, then I'm going to cut cut him off. You know, he's not going to get any money whatsoever. And um, what he loves most of all is money, so that's why you can forget about him. And that was it. God, so sh that woman was financially supporting him. Yes. What a what a I mean all nothing this, against all of this I did not know. Yeah. Nothing against women who are financially supporting men, but that seems like a very... Like, why would she even want to stay with him? Yeah, I think that was a very weird relationship. I could see why he was unhappy in the relationship. Yeah. Maybe why he wanted out. So maybe part of it was not a lie, but still he was a... You know, he was not honest, so that was bad. So that was too trusting. And there were signs mm. that I had read and I should have listened to my intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In terms of like romantic relationships, do you think there was a pattern of like you going for people that were unavailable almost like subconsciously? No. No? No. Okay. So was it just a coincidence? I think so. Like emotionally unavailable. Maybe I'm psychoanalyzing too much. But it's, you know, it's like that quote of like, you accept the love you think you deserve kind of thing. So I think sometimes you go for people, you know, that can't actually reciprocate the kind of love that you want. Maybe because it feels safer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. What do you think? Obviously, most of our listeners are kind of in their, I'd say, 20s or, or late teens. What do you think is important for them to remember or prioritize in in your opinion or from your experience i think you need to love yourself more before you can you know love other people and i remember that i don't did not really like myself so much at that point mm. so maybe you know there's something in what you were saying that i did not really expect that much back in return because i didn't like myself that much so i think it's really important to love yourself and the way you are and then even though, you know, maybe there are things that you don't like, but everyone's like that. You know, always the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. But you have to really, really like yourself. And I think then you're going to attract, you know, the love. Then you can love other people and you get the love that you deserve. But you have to love yourself more. Um, and you have to be kinder to yourself. I think that's really important because we are always so critical. At least I was always so critical. You know, it's like, and if you imagine, you know, like... I read this book, which I uh, thought was really interesting, um, that you have to imagine that um, you have like an inner child. Mm. And every time you like you criticize yourself, or you beat yourself up, you know, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Or I should have. Blah, blah, blah. And um, imagine, you know, you have a little kid and you're always talking badly and down to that little kid. You know, that child is not going to grow up being very happy. So you need to be more supportive. And I'm pretty sure the way we sometimes think, you know, about 
you know, our inner thoughts, we would not really say this to other people. So why should we do this to ourselves? Yeah. I think that's really... It's definitely something that, like, I need to work on a bit more. Well, I think that's a lot of what, like, our podcast is obviously also about, right? Like, how can you, like, be kinder to yourself and love yourself that bit more? What do you feel, like, helped you the most over the years to, like, be a bit more kinder to yourself and mm. love yourself? Yeah, realising that you're really, you know, liking yourself the way you are and seeing yourself, you know, that... You actually have a lot um, that the way you are is fine and that you have a lot to give. And I think what helped me, mm, I, I I remember that after, you know, this not very good relationship um, with my, you know, me being a chauffeur. Yeah. And, um, and then I started making a list of what I deserve. Oh. I started making a list, you know, what do I deserve from a, uh, in a relationship? And then I put down the things that I would like, you know, my partner to, um, you know, the qualities that they have. And then the things, you know, I do not want. And I don't want to be treated this way and that way. You know, they have to be honest. That was very important <laughs> because he had been dishonest. And then I think, you know, and he had turned out to be very weak in a way and liked money more than other things so it's like i put down in the list you know the pros and cons that i would like a little bit like you know in mary poppins the the kids um they make this list of what they what they would like their nanny to be like and then the father cuts it into little pieces and throws it in the fireplace and then the wind takes it out and then Mary Potter Poppins magically appears. I on completely their forgot about that. Yeah. That's almost like a visualization of like what manifestation. Yeah, the <laughs> children made the list of what they wished in their nanny, and then she appears, and she's exactly yeah. like you know what they want and what yeah. they need. And I think visualization is really important. Yeah, you visualize what you want. I mean, even in the Olympics, I remember I did. I wrote my dissertation on realities on different realities and I was really impressed by this research you know when um, I read lots and lots of books and one was saying that um, Olympic um, athletes they not only train you know like physically but they also train a lot mentally Mm. and that that these studies I'm not quite sure if I get the percentage right but I think you know in I think there was one group who trained uh, like 50% mentally, 50% physically, and another what 70-30, and another group, you know, 100% physical and zero. And the one I think that turned out the best um, was, I'm sure, I think which was about 30 or 50, you know, mentally. And I thought that was quite amazing because yeah. I always thought it's muscles and, you know. Yeah. But I think it means that you're prepared beforehand. It's a little bit like when you ride, when you go horse riding and when you have a jump, you always, you know, you always, you know, before you jump, you're already over the jump. You're imagining that you're, you know, you're jumping over it. So yeah. you turn your body automatically turns in the right direction the horse can feel the you know the shift of your body and the way you're looking it's like you're looking ahead you visualized it and then you know um, usually it goes uh, smoothly yeah I think that's really important visualizing things the way you want them not Mm. being so negative yeah I guess that's even like when you're then talking negatively to yourself like you're making it happen yes it's really like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah yeah I think positive thinking is very important
the visualization thing is so interesting because I'd also listened to a podcast about like healing and the power of healing and everything and that you can kind of speed up healing if you're visualizing what your body is doing to heal like a cut or a wound or something and that again studies have proven that the, the subjects who did that healed x amount faster or in basketball this coach was saying that he always gets his players to before bed to you know go and and kind of practice the drills in their head the same way they would be doing it on court and again that like helps their muscle memory because I guess it's like going into their subconscious and everything mm. and you can also train your reaction I remember I was really impressed that my dad told me um, that he had once spoken to a um, like a bodyguard chauffeur and um, he had um, he'd said um, that he always sort of when you do this professionally always um, and he picked up on that he then decided um, did this as well that when you're driving, you're always thinking about, oh, what if that car now swerves to the left or the, to the right or breaks suddenly? And you imagine the scenarios, what would you do if yeah. they do it? And, um, you know, and then if you actually imagine it, after a while when you do that, you can then react faster. Yeah. However, if you were doing that in your daily life, that sounds pretty exhausting. I think after a while, no, I don't think so. He said it becomes second nature. You don't really think about it anymore. But You're it sounds to prepared. me like the worrying thing, you know, like you can look into the future and be like, okay, what if this happened? Because I do that sometimes of like, okay, what if this happens and I'll be prepared for this? And what if this happened? You know, I don't think it's, it has to do with worrying, it just has to do, uh, to do with being prepared and so that it's a little bit like driving i mean when you're driving a car i wouldn't know um <laughs> you should and when you're driving a car there are so many things that you are that you're doing at the same time mm. and because you practice you're not able to do it without thinking and i yeah. think it's the same thing you know there you come to a crossing and there's so many different you know different things that, that could be happening i think it helps you uh, to th just be aware that's why i think it's really bad um, if you have the tr distractions in the car, you know, like being on the phone or um, because then you cannot, you know, see everything that's happening. You can't imagine the scenarios. And so you're not, you know, you're uh, definitely your reactions are going to be delayed. So I think what it basically means is you have to be in the moment and you have to then you can react faster. Yeah. You were saying this to me today as well when I... So basically, I was getting a bit worried when we were on the rowing board. <laughs> a bit? <laughs> I was getting a bit very worried because I didn't have the utmost confidence in the fact that me and Mama were going to make it to this tea house alive. That sounds no, a bit no, dramatic. No, on time, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was closing at five. But no, I was also like, oh my God, we're going to get lost. Like, it's going to be dark. How are we going to get back? Because we were being so slow, like we were zigzagging and hitting one tree after the other. <laughs> and mama was just like, just be in the moment, just enjoy the moment. <laughs> um, which obviously annoyed me at the time, but I guess you were right. And then she started to sing a lullaby to calm me down, <laughs> which infuriated me even more. <laughs> But I guess that's a, it's something that I really need to work on. Like, that's probably one of my main things of just to... And Marco tells me this all the time. of Like, Leo, just stay in the moment. Yeah, Be you present. got so worked up and you were already thinking ahead. And like, <laughs> oh, no, what... You know, um, yeah. I wish I wish I was already, you know, in the cafe. And then uh, could you please, you know, make sure that we can, you know, 
take the bus back and someone picks up the canoe this is never ever going to work out and actually the weather was lovely we were in the middle of the countryside actually we were doing something together and I actually thought it was quite funny it was actually quite funny in retrospect I did have a good time (laughs) I was just being a bit of a drama queen oh definitely I wish I'd filmed it (laughs) I'm very glad you didn't on the way back I was a peaceful woman Mm. (laughs) Okay, I guess maybe, so I asked Kara for some questions on, like, that she would want to ask you. And she had some interesting questions on, like, I guess, kind of... About you. Right? Yeah, or, like, us growing up kind of thing. So I wonder if you have any favorite memory of me. You could, it can be as a child or as an, as an adult or whatever you want. Hmm. Lots of favorite memories. Definitely. Um, you were always really three C's or four C's. I would say you're very curious, clever, creative, cautious. Mm. Yeah. I remember you standing, um, you know, you always um, observe first since you were very, very little. And I remember we were at this playground and there was a slide and, and I asked you, don't you want to go on the slide? And you said, you were just, you know, <laughs> You didn't want to go on the slide. You just wanted to observe and watch. And then you observed and watched um, some boys and um, and other kids. Some of them kind of, you know, fell down. It was a really strange slide. It was a little bit fast. And some of them then fell and, you know, there were tears. And you just watched it all for about 15 minutes. Wow. You watched it all about 15 minutes. And then you went on the slide and you went down perfectly. <laughs> You went down perfectly. You had sort of figured out how to do it without getting dirty. You did not <laughs> like. It. I still, you, I still you did hate not like getting, getting dirty. dirty. Yeah, without getting dirty and being very fast and smooth at the end, and you just hopped off beautifully, and that was it. And then you went on the slide all the time. Yeah, so very cautious, but very you know like clever, uh, clever and observant. Yeah, and very creative. And we have this little movie, you know this one, where you're always, um, you know, singing, dancing, mm-hmm. and you learned to read when you were three, always you reading books. Yeah. Yeah, and me reading books to you, us reading together. That was really nice. That's probably like one of my favorite childhood memories, or like the core memories that... Because when we were in London together, I was very young, like it must have been like two to four or something, That like how old I was. That I remember, again, I think because you were studying, obviously we didn't have that much money when we were living in London together. And now I can imagine it. Like, I don't understand how I would support a child now, let alone if I was, like, a student. Um, But I remember we'd go to, like, the bookshop uh, and read books after, mm. I guess, yeah. after uni. Yeah, Borders, I mean, the um, Borders, the, the bookshop, they were great because we didn't have this in Germany at that time. Now you do um in some but they always you know they did not mind you um actually reading you know the books there you could you had in the children's section you actually had a mattress and we could lie down and we could pick the books that you liked and then I also picked uh, books that I liked and we could sit and read together mm. and I could read to you and after that you were happy you wanted to you know look through the, uh, the books on your own that was really nice and they actually wanted you you know to take the books and have a coffee there and and usually when you and I think this works. Usually when you're into a book, you know yeah, you, you have to go. Read it. You want to finish it, and then you buy it. Yeah. Hmm. 
That is very true. I feel like, yes, I guess so much of that has now, like, some bookshops, I guess, are more, okay, you can't, you know, then you're not going to buy it if you, if you read it in the shop. But actually, yeah, if you're encouraged to stay, then maybe develop a bit more of, like, a relationship with the place. Hmm. But yeah, I remember that very vividly. And I guess you were, so you were 29 when mm -hmm. you had me, right? So I guess it's very much the turn of, like, a decade like, you kind of entered your 30s with a child. Do you remember, like, how you felt finding out you were pregnant and then kind of going into motherhood? Like, I don't know, were you scared? Were you, like, excited? Like, what? Well, the fair, I still I still know exactly when I found out that I was pregnant because I got a pregnancy, um, you know, test. You know, on this, you pee on the stick and yeah. you wait, you know, for a few minutes. And then, then I had two these two lines I have to I have to say I did burst into tears <laughs> but not out of joy because because I could know that all the few the future that I had imagined yeah that was it it was not going to happen because I wanted to I had won a scholarship to go to Rhode Island New York and I wanted to um to continue studying there mm. and I knew that was not going to be possible because then and you know you you always you know you know you you dream up a certain path and and um but i have to say i think it only took um a few days uh for me to get sort of used to the idea mm. and then um i was so happy you know and i would have although i was kind of single where was papa at this point he was he was in portugal so we were not really was like a long distance relationship but was not really that you know secure he was kind of still going through a divorce and yeah. um, so it was nothing really uh, 100% secure yeah so I knew that I had to decide um what well, in a way I, I imagined would be you know beautiful us three together but I wasn't completely sure so I knew it and everything was still insecure you know we were very much in love but you know you never know and um so I knew I had to decide for myself what did I want yeah even if it didn't work out. Yeah, and then I know that after two weeks, I think I would have been heartbroken if someone had, you know, if something would have gone wrong with the pregnancy. Mm. And it's amazing how quickly you get used to it. And I think I could already, you know, feel, you can, you know, can feel your body changing. And it's, I love being pregnant. Mm. Yeah. I was, you know, I, um, I was sick in the first, you know, two, um, two months. I didn't love that, I have to say. <laughs> uh, but... Apart from uh, from that, you know, it was really nice. You know, you can kind of it's it's amazing to think that you know you have someone growing inside you. Yeah. And it's amazing, and you know, I was you know I was studying art, so I mean, what's more creative than actually, you know, creating a human being? <laughs> so true. So creating you and Goya, your brother, is, <laughs> would say that's you know the two greatest art pieces ever. <laughs> I like that view on it. I guess, so one of my other questions was going to be like, how do you make, how do you know when you're making a right decision? Right, I can imagine that that decision, whether to like keep me or not. And obviously at that point it wasn't like a me, Leonie would have, it was just. But for me, I knew I would not want to. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have felt right. Um, so is it the gut instinct thing again? Like, 
listening to your intuition. Yes, I think so. I think it's different for everyone. Everyone has to know what's right for them. Yeah. But I knew I would not, I, I wanted to keep you. Yes. Yeah. So how do you feel like you got through that time of like instability and like not knowing what the future would hold? But I guess also then knowing that then, you know, somebody was going to depend on you. Like, cause I, I feel like a, your twenties are kind of often that time of like, there is a lot of things that you are kind of up in the air and you don't really know what your future is going to turn out like. There's a lot of moving pieces and even with like money worries, like I think it's something very common, like especially when we're going through like cost of living crisis, everything is getting more expensive. And I don't know, what what do you think you did at the time to like keep your calm or, you know, to kind of, Positive thinking, I think. And, of course, then Papa, Antonio, yeah. Yeah, so, like, love. Yes, love, definitely. Also, and um, definitely knew, knowing that, you know, he was, he was very supportive. Mm. And uh, he wrote the most beautiful love letters, and he was really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's very important. I would love um, to read those one day. Mm. Do you have them somewhere? Yes, of course. That was very important. And then also believing, I think positive thinking is really important. I always think there is a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. Mm. If you really want something, I think you can make it happen. Sometimes maybe what ex- um, something else will happen. You know, you have to you take some detours and it ends up being, com- you know, maybe you find something else and you decide, oh, no, I want to go in a different direction. But I think, yeah, I think thinking positively. It's not know. always easy, I guess, but... No. Yeah, just thinking that... I just really liked being pregnant. I thought it was really <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was difficult. Then I had to stop my studies for one year. And you were working till like, you were eight months pregnant, right? You were doing, like, a post office job. Yes. That was really hard. You were working... How, like, early did I had to, to get, get up? up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and then I had to put on these, um, you know, because you have to be careful when... Because it was in the summer, and it's hot, and then you're... Um, you know your body changes and you mm-hmm. have to be careful and you have to wear these horrible well, the know, compression things yeah compression, compression tights you know that yeah. old ladies uh wear <laughs> you have to you have to wear those in order to protect your veins and your legs and so I had to took a long time to get ready that's why I had to get up so early so it took me about 50 minutes to put on these stupid tights <laughs> and I had to make sure that I wake up my sister yeah and um true because you moved back home when you were pregnant didn't you yeah for a while yes um yeah because i wanted uh my dad to to deliver you because he's a gynecologist mm. yeah and so i wanted to be safe um i thought that would be the best um you know yeah um yeah that was um that was really hard really difficult so i worked yeah until i uh, seven months old and uh what seven <laughs> seven <laughs> months <laughs> pregnant <laughs> Hard working yeah, baby. <laughs> very hard working, definitely. Yeah, and that was tough. Yeah, but then I was really looking forward to it. And it's so sweet, you know, all the ch- all the changes in your body. Yeah, and you imagine, you know, you know, life is growing inside you. You can feel you kicking. I think the most, you know, I'm, um, of course, we were really lucky because you were completely healthy and everything went yeah. well. I think if something does not go well, you know, I really can't imagine, I do not want to imagine what that is like, you know, when you go through all that, you know, those months, nine months, and then the birth, and then something goes wrong. Yeah. That must be really heartbreaking. 
But in a way, you're staying positive. You know, you of course, you have worries. You worry all the time. You know, what if that happens? What if this happens? And I remember that when you were born and, and we were living in, in Glasgow, I had always had these flashes, you know, like headlines, you know. I, I was cutting like, <laughs> like vegetables and you were playing next to me and then suddenly you had this headline, you know, knifed, dropped. <laughs> While mother on child, while mother was cooking or something like that. So always had these flashes out of nowhere, had these horror headlines of what might not happen. But I think maybe that happened for a reason because then I was really careful and attentive. You know, I um make made sure that the knife was out of the way. I made yeah. sure that the frying pan always the handles were facing <laughs> inwards and not outwards. So maybe that was my subconscious telling me how yeah. to you know to be cautious a little bit like what my dad was saying that you always have to imagine you know what could go wrong yeah um, it's tiring to for the brain though yeah i mean you don't do it all the time but i mean you were saying when you're driving you're yeah, so yeah, much yeah. so much can happen and you need to be really attentive and present and careful and not you know do lots of other things at the same time like you know looking at your phone or looking to the side and yeah. I remember those like flashes. I had that when Nagoya was very young and I'd obviously babysit him quite a lot. I don't think, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but my brother is like nine and a half years younger than me. So I was about nine and then probably like 10 when I started like babysitting him a bit more, like looking after him quite a bit. And I remember we had like a, a balcony. I remember sometimes I'd have like these like horror visions of like, oh my God, what if I dropped him like down mm. the side of the balcony? Or I, I sometimes, I remember like every Sunday, I think me and Papa and, and Goya would go to the library, which I loved. Like we'd always go as a little unit and then we'd all be like reading our own books. But it became a lot more stressful when Goya was there and I had to like look after him. Because I would sometimes be like lost in my own book. Then I'd like look up and suddenly he was gone. He wasn't playing mm. with the other kids anymore. <gasps> and, and like my heart was like dropping. I was like, oh my God, what if I lost? Like what if he's, he's gone? Like obviously you hear these stories of like kidnappings and mm. kind of thing. I like. I feel like I'm gonna be such a worried parent, but I think that's normal. I think parents worry all the time. Have you stopped worrying a little bit about me now that I'm? I still worry, I still worry, but I um, but now it's a little bit less. Yeah, Yeah. because I know you're in good hands, and I know that you're very self, you know, confident and. Yeah, I think you know. Yeah, I think you're in a good position at the moment. No, you're happy. Everything's going well. So I worry less. That is good. Okay, so going to a slightly different topic again. Um, What do you think was like, has been your favorite age or decade of your life? And why? I think definitely probably between 29 and 39, because Mm. then I had both you and Goya, definitely, yeah. And then I was a little bit older, I was feeling happier, I was feeling, you know, not so secure and actually like myself. Yeah. I was in love, yeah, I think definitely. So it would be really nice, maybe with the, um, you know, with the wisdom that you have when you're older and then going back and being a little bit younger. Yeah. What do you wish, like, your 22-year-old self or something would have known? 
Yeah, be kinder. Definitely be kind to yourself. Yeah, do not worry so much and just go for it. You know, don't worry about making mistakes. Mistakes happen all the time. But we learn from them and be bold and just do it. And um, although I have to say I was quite adventurous and I did a lot of things. And I think it's really important not to stop that. I really like new beginnings. I think yeah. new beginnings are fun and changing. Changes are also good. Yeah. Sometimes we become a little bit too settled mm. and because it's safer, you know, to stay where you are because, of course, you don't know what's going to happen. But I think being brave and just going for it is good. And even then, if it turns out, you know, this was not the right decision, but then you've learned something and you can move on. Yeah. Better than thinking, oh, I should have done. No. Yeah. I think that's better. It's something like I feel like you definitely instilled in me because I really like new beginnings and and changes as well and moving and I'm I'm not afraid of that, so I feel like you did a good job. I like passing, passing that on to me. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but in general, I think like, yeah, I think you're a fantastic person. Aww. Very proud. Aww. Art piece. <laughs> definitely. I mean, you one are. thing that Kara asked is what was like your proudest mother moment can be of well you can maybe say one for me and then maybe one for my brother just to include him he never listens to this podcast but whatever <laughs> well i have so many you know proud moments of you really but i think i remember i think when uh, because um it took 10 months uh, not 10 months oh my goodness <laughs> 10 hours you know the it was, you know, New Year's Day. Yeah. Yeah, in the very morning. We'd just gotten to bed, I think, and we'd, um, we had, a, you know, a few hours of sleep. And then, uh, you know, my water, um, you know, the, the contraction started. And, um, and it was really hard work <laughs> and very painful. It's like you, you think you're being torn into two and someone is taking a giant hand, putting inside you and trying to tear you. You know, in two, very it's painful. Visual. Really looking forward to birth. I know, and you forget about it, and then you do it again, and then, and then it starts again. And you think, why, <laughs> why, <laughs> why? You know, why did I do this again voluntarily? <laughs> but you know, um, human yeah. nature is amazing. I think if we did not forget, you know, babies would not be born. And yeah. obviously, it's worth it. So you you do it. Um, yeah, and I remember when you know. When I was holding you in my arms, you know, it's really nice you have been born. And then they, and now we are lucky because they immediately you were put on the, you know, my tummy, on my breasts. And you were lying there and I, I felt very proud. Mm. Antonio burst, you know, Papa, he burst into tears. I've not seen Papa cry ever. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but then he did cry. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so much tension, you know, you're so worried because I remember, you know, there was a, the umbilical cord was around your neck because mm. there was a really tense moment um, while I was giving a birth and we had this music um, and Klaus, so uh, my dad, Leonie's uh, grandfather, um, he arrived a little bit late because he was, um, he said, oh, you know, it was actually the midwife was saying, oh, you know, Everything's going smoothly because he called in all the time and he was, um, and he said, oh, it can take hours. So I think he was not worried and mm. thought he had enough time to get there. But the, uh, the hospital was half an hour from his, um, you know, from their home. And I think he was having a, um, 
Yeah, and my sister wanted to be there too. And then suddenly, you know, it went very, very fast. Yeah. Um, your heart rate, you know, uh, dropped. And then, um, and we had this beautiful music on and I could tell that something was going wrong. Oh no. Because the midwife was saying, you know, turn that stupid music off. You know, she was, <laughs> before she was really very calm and, and she was getting really stressed and said, call him, call him, call the doctor. Oh and, God. Uh, and um, that doesn't help. Can you not take that outside? Like, why is she and, stressing you out? And then I know, I think they were having dessert. And I remember my dad telling me, like, they raced to the hospital. Normally, I think it would take him half an hour. And I think they managed to get there in 15 minutes. Oh, God. And uh, my sister had, like, they were eating ice cream. And I think she, while they were in the car, she threw the ice cream out <laughs> of the window. It's very dramatic. And my dad said that. He um he was so relieved because he heard me screaming from when he like you know when he was on the corridor to the maternity ward, um he heard me screaming and he knew oh I'm not I'm not too late mm. yeah he was still in in time and I thought oh thank you you heard me screaming <laughs> in pain <laughs> um yeah so that was a proud moment very proud moment and with Goya. Similar though, yeah. Although it was a cesarean, yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it crazy? Like we were talking about this as, as well before that. Like it's so traumatic what babies have to go through. To like even just being born is an amazing feat, and like we definitely, all did that. you know, it must have been just as traumatic for you. Yeah. You have your umbilical cord round. You're not getting obviously you didn't get it enough. Or, or, um, well, you know something was going wrong. You know, it was squeezing. You know, you were being squeezed um around your neck, <laughs> but poor and little you can, me. Yeah, but it was being filmed. Antonia was filming the birth. And then you can actually see how she actually takes the umbilical cord really quickly. You know, she, um, you know, she made sure. Yep. No. Yeah, well, definitely. It must be very stressful yeah. for the baby, not only the mother. So really, we did quite well, all of us. Just mm. being born. Exactly. Just being alive. Yeah. It's quite difficult. So obviously we've mentioned Papa quite a few times and I think I feel very lucky that I had such a healthy relationship example to look up to because I think yeah, obviously that's very kind. Yeah. yeah, and it impacts you a lot. I think growing up as a child, like what your parents are like, the relationship dynamic and you guys are obviously still together. And I think especially when, when I was growing up, I think I kind of took it for granted because obviously you know no different, right? I kind of was just assuming, oh, everyone's just you know, grows up like this. And then obviously when I got older and had a bit more contact with a lot of my friends who obviously have, and I mean, being a child of divorce is not a bad thing whatsoever. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a, there's a lot of examples I was confronted with, you know, where maybe their parents didn't set the best example of relationships. And I always felt very grateful that you guys did. Because I do think it made me believe in, you know, that finding love and finding a long-term relationship mm. was possible. But I wonder if you had any, like, relationship advice that you'd want to share. Like, how do you make it through, I don't know, that long? How long have you been together now? 25 years? As, you know, you're 24. Yeah. So 25, yeah. Mm. Mm. 25 years. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I think good examples definitely help. I mean, my parents, your grandparents, they're definitely a really good example. Mm -hmm. They've been together for over 50 years now, since the, my my mother was 16. That so, is crazy. That is really crazy. So they're a really good example of a very loving relationship. But my mom always said, 
you have to be able to make compromise. You know, you have to, um, you know, nothing is always sunshine. So mm. you have to be able to, you know, don't expect everything to go smoothly because it won't. Mm. And then you have to work, you know, you have to work at things. Be able to compromise and also to have empathy and always think, you know, not only you know, from your perspective, but what's the other saying, you know, where is he coming from? Yeah. That definitely helps. Mm. I feel like that's a bit of a problem of like almost today's generation of like, there's too many avenues you could go down, you know, with like, obviously you never experienced this, but with like dating apps and like modern dating culture, I think it often feels very almost interchangeable. Like, you know, if things didn't work out with this person, then you could move on to the next person or... And I feel like maybe it was like that when you were growing up as well. Like, people always think, like, oh, there could be something better out there for me. Like, what if, you know? But I guess, I don't know, you can't think like that when you're in a committed long-term relationship, right? Yeah, and I think it's also really important to be honest. Yeah. You should be honest. Yeah, that is very true. I agree. I feel like that's something that, like, I learned from, like, my last relationship to this one a lot. Like, I think I tried to, like, sugarcoat or you know, not say certain things to, like, not hurt the other person's feelings in my last relationship. And it didn't hurt. Like, it didn't help anyone. It just hurt us. Mm. So... Yeah, I think you have to, um, maybe, if you if you know you can be honest with the other person, you can tell them how you really feel, then maybe you know, okay, this is the right person to be with. Mm. Ooh, that's good. Mm. I haven't thought about it that way. I guess it's the same with friends, right? Like, if people make yeah. you feel safe, safe enough to be honest. Okay, pivoting to a slightly different topic before we finish off the episode. Um, Both you and my grandmother, so your mother, have always kind of instilled in me like the love for historical figures and, you know, telling stories mm. from history. Also because of my dad. You know, mm. he loves history. Very he's true. Also, he's also a really good storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like... They're very knowledgeable as well. They're a very knowledgeable Definitely. couple. Every Christmas they have like a... Well, my granddad makes like a quiz for the... Well, basically you and your sisters. Because my mom has four sisters. um, And it's always really difficult. Like now that we're a bit older, us grandkids, we sometimes get to help. um, And he just always is like, why do you not know this? This is so easy. <laughs> it's like something really rogue. It's like... I don't know, when did this random statue in X little town get erected or something? That's because he has a photographic memory. <laughs> that would help. Unfortunately, we don't. That's why, why that, I think... Why did that not get passed down to any of us? It's a bit no unfair. Idea. I wish I had a photographic I memory. I think that's something I would definitely wish for. And my mother <laughs> yeah, has another too. really good gift. She has the ability to completely, you know, switch off. Yeah. You know, and then she doesn't feel pain. Like, for example... Really? Yeah, and I think you can train like auto. She has very, she has big mind control. I think. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think we can all learn if um and can train to do this. You know, for example, you're standing at the bus stop, and I think autogenic training you can learn. You know, mm. you know to learn how to relax. And I I do that when I st- when I stand at the bus stop and it's shivering and you're cold and then automatically you try to freeze up. Yeah. But that's the opposite of what you should do. You should relax and you, you know, tell yourself, oh, you know, it's really warm. I feel relaxed. You know, I can feel the sun shining. And as soon as you relax, you actually start to feel warmer. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, she can also fall asleep anywhere yep. and everywhere. 
very probably when you have five kids you know that's a good ability to have you have to get (laughs) like five minutes of sleep wherever you can yeah and she's able to go when she goes to the dentist she never has any um you know injection like painkillers no painkillers whatsoever and i think it's more uncomfortable for the dentist because he then says you know um you know am i really not hurting you and she's just saying you know don't talk to me i'm somewhere else (laughs) i didn't know this Mm. yeah because she also with um like the births of because obviously so you're the i'm number three yeah number three and then weren't you like in the room for like the last child yes we were all there because she wanted to show us that it's a nice experience to have you know to give birth it's uh, it's a nice experience and and something we do not have to be frightened of and um Yes, she did not scream, not like me. She's very <laughs> controlled. No she's screaming. very strong-willed, very yes, controlled. <laughs> no screaming whatsoever. But she was holding my hand and she was squeezing it really, really hard. <laughs> so I did feel the pain through her hands. <laughs> yeah, that was very exciting. That's funny. Okay, so basically what I did want to, what I wanted to ask you is if you could tell me a person that you admired. That you admire or look up to? Well, I decided to, when you do, when you study art, you do a foundation year and mm-hmm. then you sort of learn all the different, you know, creators like printmaking, drawing, painting, photography. And uh, while I was doing photography, I, um, I studied, uh, you know, different photographers and there's one photographer which I really liked and um, I really admire him and I decided to be, uh, you know, to study fine art photography because of him. Mm. He's called W. Eugene Smith. Mm-hmm. He's a Magnum photographer and um, he was so dedicated. He was the one who created the photo essays. It's like something now we are very used to it. You know, photo essays is basically you create several photos in order to tell a story of a person. Mm. And um, so Steve, I think probably in the... 60s, um, 50s, 60s, uh, 70s, you know, this was not a usual uh, thing. And I remember he went to, um, on an assignment, you know, not just to take a few pictures on one day, but he actually went to live in Japan uh, to um, to do this assignment. And it was uh, in a village called Minamata. And so the photography series that he took there in this village is called Minamata. And uh, there was a big chemical um, factory who were uh, basically polluting the, the lake of Minamata and it was a fishing village. Um, and, they, um, and so the people ate the fish and then the mothers you know, who were pregnant then gave birth to deformed uh, children. And this had been going on for several years, you know. Um, and he was helping, he was trying to help to have this stop. And I think he stayed in Minamata for three years until they managed to actually bring, you know, the chemical, the this factory to court and they won. Mm. And I thought, you know, the photographs are amazing. They're all black and white and, um, and really beautiful lighting, little like Rembrandt's paintings, really beautiful. And um, and they re- each photo really tells the story of the people suffering, Um and uh, I remember, so he stayed there for three years um, on to do this assignment, and he got beaten up once because, of course, the the owners of this factory did not want him to publish and take yeah. photos. They wanted him to go away, 
he worked for Life magazine, which was like, you know, a big newspaper. So they knew it was going to be uncomfortable if those pictures get published. So they wanted him to leave. And so they sent some thugs to beat him up. And they beat him up so badly that he lost one eye. Oh, God. And, um... And I would think, you know, this probably, you know, no one would have said, you know, I understand that, you know, if you want to give up this assignment, but he yeah. decided to stay on. And, and I thought that was really committed. That was amazing. Mm. Yeah. Very inspirational. Wow. Well, it's in- incredible that also like that hard work paid off and then yes, he was able to get it stopped. You get it stopped and also the people who, you know, had given, you know, had deformed, who had given birth because of this factory to deformed children, they got compensation. I mean, mm-hmm. at least, you know, you can't go backwards, but at least they got support yeah. and recognition. Yeah. And they stopped the pollution. That is good. Okay. I think we've been recording for quite a while. Yep. <laughs> and we're going to make some pasta now <laughs> um, and play some Scrabble this evening. But I wanted to finish off with two different questions. I wanted to ask you what is three things you're grateful for right now in this moment? In general or something that happened? Just what are you grateful for right now? Well, I think it's very nice to be here with you now, Hmm. talking, us being together. Yeah. And I know, you know, um, when you go home, when we are going to sort of travel, you know, tomorrow you travel back to London, I travel back to Hamburg. And we have people who love us, you know, and uh, are waiting for us. So I'm mm. very grateful for that. Oh. So family. Yeah. That's what I'm grateful for. I think we have a great family. That is true. I do feel very lucky. Um, that wasn't three things, but I'll still, I'll let it slide. Um, okay, final question. What are you grateful for? What am I grateful for? As well, to be here with you. And I think I've really I think I always took it for granted like our relationship but I think as I've grown up again and I think our relationship has gotten a lot stronger as well like over the years like I think the older I get the more almost I think it's that's why I think I love Gilmore Girls so much as well obviously we used to like watch it together Mm. um but now when I watch it it also like reminds me of us in a like nostalgic way but I feel so grateful that you know we can that like I trust you so much and I know that I can be honest with you about everything and I'm going to get emotional. But no, I know that it's not, (laughs) that not every child obviously has that relationship with their mother. Like it's quite rare, I think, to have such a like close and very honest bond. Like there's not really anything that I wouldn't talk to you about, which I think is quite rare. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm, Me too. (laughs) Yes. Love you lots. Um, but yes, okay, final question. What is the key takeaway that you'd want listeners to take away from this episode? Be kind to yourself, smile more, <laughs> love more. Yeah, and um, don't, talk, uh, t- don't talk yourself down. Like when you wake up in the morning, you know, go to the mirror, smile at yourself whenever, you know, whenever I walk past the mirror, I try to smile at myself. Really? Yes. Oh. Uh, I read that in a book some, uh, some... I like that. Yeah, by Lewis Hay. And I thought um, that's a really nice book called Heal Yourself. 
And um, you read this and you think, oh, this is really silly advice. But I think it's a really nice thing to do, you know, to you smile more. Yeah. And it doesn't cost anything, you know, to smile at people. You know, mm -hmm. you know, when people smile at you, everything is easier. Yeah. I think with a bit of humor, you know, you know, everything is easier. And smiling really helps. So smile more at people and smile more at yourself. Love that. Thank you very much for being a guest. Thank you for having me. <laughs> anytime okay thank you everyone for listening and we'll be back next week with usual scheduled programming of car and i and i'm very excited for that as well but it's lovely don't know what i'm talking about now <laughs> speak to you next week bye bye